Amen. Well, hey, that was a uh, that was a great time of worship, right? Awesome. Well, hey, uh, welcome to Genesis. Uh, if you have not been told that already, man, we're glad you guys are here. Uh, my name is Mike, and at Genesis, we believe in having open doors and open hearts. And so I hope that when you walked in tonight that you felt comfortable and invited. Uh, and I also hope that you came with an open heart because we have prayed and prepared for you. And so we're glad that you're here. Uh, well, Merry Early Christmas, right? You probably don't need me to remind you of this, but Christmas is a little over two weeks away. Um, and uh, this year, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, both are on Tuesdays, and so uh, we will not be having service on those nights, okay? So uh, that will start a two-week break for us, and so we obviously have service tonight, we have service next week, uh, but then after that, we will come back on January 7th, and uh, I know this is a crazy time of year for everyone, right? We've got a lot going on. Christmas time is, is busy. I know if you're at CSU, exam week is uh, this week as well. Uh, God bless you. Um, and so throughout this month, uh, we wanted to uh, keep things laid back, keep things lighthearted, uh, but also keep things simple and still uh, challenging the year at Genesis just because I, you know, we get to kind of, like I said, pull things back a little bit more than normal and uh, just have a good conversation. So, um, first of all, I want to ask you guys, uh, have you ever met anybody famous? Has anyone ever met somebody famous? Okay, let's hear some stories, all right? Ryan, do you want to tell your story? No? All right. Who else has met someone famous? You want to talk about it? All right, go for it. This is Kara, everybody. Uh, let's see. So I was in New York for like an hour, stopped to use the bathroom at Trump Tower, and met Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah. That, I'm sure that was a special experience. Um, all right, who else? This is MC. Hey, so I kind of briefly met Ed Sheeran. So back in the day, I paid $10 to get into a concert on the waterfront, and he was playing, and me and my friends, we had made a little Nerf ball with our Twitter names on it, and the security guard scared us, so after the show, we found him by a gate signing autographs, so we ran over there, and I pushed through the crowd and handed him the Nerf, Nerf thing, and he looked at me and said, for me, and I said, yeah! And so that was, um, that was it. And then later I saw his car and knocked on his window and he waved to me. <laughs> this was like, like when he had like two singles out, I think, or like a couple or something. It was maybe my, it was like eight, seven years ago, eight years ago or something. That's a good one. Anybody else? Mitch raised his hand. Mitch, do we have the same definition of famous? That's pretty good. Here. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, so uh, my senior year of high school, um, Roddy White uh, was actually doing a, a football camp um, for football players in the area. And, um, yeah, I got to meet him then and a couple other NFL players. So. Cause That's I'm, awesome. Cause That's I'm awesome. Not, not one of the players. <clears throat> Roddy White was a receiver for the Atlanta Falcons for a long time. And he's from James Island, South Carolina. All right, anybody else? And one more. You've never met anybody famous? I have, I have that hard time believing that. All right. Um, I have a, um, so I've met a couple of famous people um, f 
first person, and this is kind of like a normal Charleston thing, but I got to meet Bill Murray one time, uh, and he lives here, so kind of a cop out. Um, I also one time got to meet Miley Cyrus's brother. Um, so yeah, we went to a, um, Ryan, that, that's, who were you going to say? Oh, okay, Bill Murray, yeah, yeah. So Ryan was with me when we met Trey Cyrus, um, and we were at a show at the music farm, and he opened for the band that we went to go see. And uh, he had so many tattoos that I thought he was wearing a shirt, and he wasn't. And I'm, I'm dead serious. Um, and it, I don't know, it was kind of interesting. But probably, like, the, the best, like, story I have of meeting somebody famous, and they were, they're, like, more of, like, famous in, like, church world or whatever. Um, but one of uh, my, like, pastors from afar um, is Pastor J.D. Greer at the Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I'm a huge fan of him, and uh, I mean, I, that sounds weird saying that about a pastor, but um, I love that guy. I mean, he, the way he uh, communicates, the way he leads his church, um, the, the, just the way that he stands up for certain things, I just really admire him, and, uh, and so I ended up meeting someone from the Summit Church, someone that worked there, and we were talking, and then he said, hey, if you ever wanted to come up here and visit, like, feel free, come hang out with us. And so Emily and I planned a trip, went up to, to Raleigh, went to a Saturday night service, and he wasn't, uh, Pastor J.D. wasn't speaking that night. They had a guest speaker. I didn't even think I was even going to get to see him. And um, so then after service, the, the guy that I knew comes up to me, and he was like, hey, I want you to, I want you to meet uh, J.D. I'm going to go get him for you. And according to Emily, my demeanor changed, like, immediately. <laughs> like, I was kind of like, oh, snap, right? Like, it was, like, as close, as, like, close to, like, fangirling as possible, right? I was like, no way. So anyway, he came out, and we got to talk to him, and uh, Emily was uh, pregnant at the time. I hadn't started this role uh, at Northwood yet of uh, pastoring Genesis, and so he was asking me about my life and, like, what I did and what church I went to and what, where I worked and things like that, and I was asking Emily about the baby, and uh, it was really cool. And then he was like, hey, can I pray for you guys? And he, like, prayed over Northwood. He prayed over Genesis. He prayed over our baby, and it was, like, one of these, like, amazing moments, right? And um, like I said, it was, like, fangirling, and I was like, yeah, let's get a picture, right? Um, so anyway, uh, so tonight we're going to uh, continue our series, Manger Danger, where we are looking at how the birth of Jesus was less like a classic nativity scene picture and more like a, a threat to the way that we live our lives. And so last week we saw the significance of Jesus being born in Bethlehem. We talked about humility. We asked the question, have, have I made my heart a Bethlehem for the Son of God? And, uh, and this week we're going to see how the impact, that, uh, the impact that the birth of Jesus had on the world around him, specifically the king of that time, and uh, we're going to see how we should react when we get in the presence of somebody great. So if you would, pray with me, and then we'll jump into this. God, thank you so much for uh, everything that you, you've done to bring us to this point. Uh, God, I pray that you would speak to us from your word clearly tonight. Uh, God, we thank you that the, the flower fades and the grass withers, but your word remains forever. So God, I pray you'd speak to us tonight, and that we'd be closer to you on the way out than we were coming in. We love you in Jesus' name. We all said together. Amen. Awesome. If you would, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2, uh, or if you have your phone, uh, it'll also be on the screen as always. But while you're doing that, I want to uh, reiterate something I said uh, last week. Uh, it's very likely you are familiar with the story of the birth of Jesus. Even if you're not familiar with church, you probably you know, know a bit about this story. So as we talk about it tonight, I, I challenge you to, to not tune it out just because you may have heard it many times. Uh, you know, if I could bring it to you uh, in a new way, I would. But like I said uh, last week, you know, if that could have been done over, you know, 2,000 years of church history, it, it would have been. Um, and uh, so I'm going to try to bring it to you in a unique, uh, unique way. 
as always, but uh, the story is still the story. And, and if you can hear it like it's your first time hearing it tonight, I promise you that the strength of this story is still there. All right, so this is Matthew 2, 1 through 6, and uh, this is what it says. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? <clears throat> For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And so to, uh, to summarize what we see here, when Jesus was born, a, a man named Herod was king. And, uh, and after Jesus was born, these, these wise men from the east, as the verses call them, came to Jerusalem to try to find Jesus. And they say that a star led them there. And who knows exactly how that whole star thing worked, right? But regardless, you know, it's obviously a, a uh, God-ordained phenomenon, right, that that happened, a supernatural experience. And so the, these wise men are, are actually believed by, by some scholars to, uh, to have actually been pagans. And so they weren't coming to find Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, they were under the impression that they were coming to worship the next earthly king. And so they get in front of King Herod, and they say, hey, We've come to see the new king, right? Now, imagine that being said to the current king, right? And we see that uh, King Herod immediately becomes troubled by what they said, which makes sense, right? He's the current king. He's the man in charge. He's the top dog. And he's just learned there's a new sheriff in town. And that bothers him. And on our side of the th- uh, uh, these events now, you know, we know that Jesus, he didn't exactly come to earth for the reasons that the Jews thought he was going to. We know that he was not coming to be an earthly king, but an earthly servant, to, to be the, the, the sacrifice for sin. But many of the Jews believed that he was coming to, to rescue them from oppression and the hard rule of Rome. And apparently that's also what Herod thought. And so King Herod hears that there's a, a new king that's just been born, the king of the Jews, and it says that he's greatly troubled. So I looked into the, uh, the original language of that word troubled, and it is much deeper than just troubled. That's a very surface-level way to say it. Uh, and by the way, when you're, when you're reading the Bible, you, you know, you can do this too. Like, you can go online, and you can find good resources to go a little bit deeper if you want to. Just make sure it's credible. Um, I don't speak Greek, but the word troubled, like I said, it, uh, at a deeper level would make this story sound like this. The news of the birth of Jesus caused inward commotion in Herod. It took away his calmness of mind, disturbed his composure, made him restless, struck him with fear and dread, rendered him anxious and distressed, and perplexed his mind. In other words, Herod was shook, right? And so his response was to gather all these smart religious people together, like, hey, everybody get in here, right? This is very important. We need to talk about this, and we need to find out where Jesus was supposed to be born. And so they point him to a prophecy in Micah 5 uh, that says that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. It's the one that we just read. And so the point that I want to make in this story, uh, this part of the story, is found in what we see in the response of King Herod. The power of Jesus was evident from the very onset of his life on earth. Right? He had yet to even speak a full sentence yet, and he was already intimidating kings who sat on earthly thrones. 
Yet he hadn't come to, to reign as some thought, but there was obviously enough hype around the birth of Jesus to get King Herod shaken in his boots, right? He obviously knew that Christ had been prophesied about. And, you know, we see that in him getting the scholars and the priests together. He obviously knew that the Jews had long awaited a savior. And so the power of Jesus being fully man and fully God began at his birth. And so from day one, Jesus was shaking things up. And I've described the birth of Jesus before as seismic. And that is exactly what it was. Right? Over the course of time, man had built kingdoms. Man had established extra laws to what God had said. They had built a way of doing things. Man had built a way of thinking. And when Jesus was born, it was like an earthquake that crumbled all of that. It crumbled the facade of the kingdom of man and the facade of human righteousness. And we don't, you know, we don't get too much of Jesus' life up until his ministry starts. But we can't allow that to make us think that Jesus' power was absent until that day came, right? It was there the whole time. But it was when the time was right that God essentially took the leash off. And so how would that thought change the way that we celebrate Christmas? That we're not celebrating just the birth of a baby, but we're celebrating the entrance of the almighty power of God back into our broken world. A power that would redeem and restore us back into a relationship with him a power that would defeat death and grave, a power that would rescue us from eternal damnation and the wrath of God, a power that would begin a movement that even the gates of hell itself could not prevail against. But God just waited to put that power on complete public display through Jesus until the time was right when his ministry started. And that moment, if, you, know, if you, you may know, what happens when Jesus gets baptized at around 30 years old and he makes his, his famous statement, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, if you want to think about when you got your driver's license, you're probably around 15 years old, right? Um, in all honesty, you probably could have driven a car at 14. Many of you probably learned how to drive a car at 14, but it didn't matter, right? The law said you have to wait till the time is right. In the same way, Jesus had all the power to do all that he did, but, it was, it, but it, he had to wait until the moment that God had ordained, right? And God, in a way, gave him his license to do what he had come to earth to do. But we can see in his birth that that power, it was always there. This was no ordinary baby. This was a king that had been born. Not the king they expected, but a king nonetheless. And remembering the identity of Jesus as king can be huge for our faith and our relationship with him. So we're going to see that more as we keep reading. So this is Matthew 2, 7 to 12. It says this, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So Herod calls this secret meeting with the wise men, and he tells them, hey, we need to figure out where Jesus is. You need to go find him so that, uh, he's like telling them, hey, so, so I can come worship him. So the star comes back, leads them to where Jesus was, and when they get there, they immediately fall down and start worshiping him, and they take out the gifts that they had brought, gold, frankincense, myrrh, and then after being warned in a dream, they return home another way to avoid Herod. And if you remember what I mentioned earlier, that these wise men, they likely did not know that Jesus was the Son of God. 
Uh, they just knew that he was a king. And, so, and that compelled them to fall down and worship and offer what they had to him. And, and I love that image, right? In one way, it can be seen as a foreshadowing, right, of how one day every tribe and tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and that he will reign over all people, believers and pagans alike. But also, though we are likely not pagans tonight, we see an example to follow when in the presence of a king. How often do we see Jesus in that way? You know, we have no trouble seeing Jesus as a friend. We have no trouble seeing Jesus as our savior. We have no trouble seeing Jesus as an example to follow. But oftentimes, we can forget who he is as the king of kings. And of course, he is absolutely all of his other things as, as well, savior, friend, example to follow. But something happens when we acknowledge the kingship of Jesus in our lives. Because once we acknowledge his kingship, it makes the fact that he came to lay down his life that much greater. And so if we began to see Jesus as a king, what would it change? Well, first of all, it would change the way we worship, right? If these wise men knew Jesus was a king and fell down in worship, how would we worship if we knew that Jesus was the king of kings? It would be in complete surrender, right? We would have no trouble forgetting ourselves. And we would be humbled to even be in the presence of someone so great. It would also change the way that we approach Scripture. I remember reading something that uh, David Platt had written years ago that, that shifted my perspective completely. He said, do we treat the Bible like it's a bunch of suggestions or do we treat it like commands from a king? Right? There is a difference. Right? Scripture would stop seeing like some good life advice or, or something we only run to every now and then. Right? But to instead be alive and active and relevant to us today. And the commands would not be optional. It would be something that we obeyed that we took seriously, that we put high value on. And last but not least, it would also change the way that we pray. To know that, man, when we pray, we're not just talking to a friend who loves us. We're not talking just to a savior who empathizes with us, but also to a king who can do something about it, right? Who has all the power and all the means necessary to intervene in circumstances and situations. So my question for us tonight as we wrap this up, are we honoring Jesus as king in our lives? Or are we like Herod, that when our throne is threatened, we become troubled and restless? And we talked about this some, some last, week, but we, last week, but we like to sit on the throne of our lives and prioritize our kingdom, prioritize our way and our will. And Jesus is a threat to our throne. He wants to come in and, and be king over our life. And so my challenge to us tonight is to start keeping in mind that Jesus is king as much as he is friend and savior. And that shift in mindset, it can radically change the way that we pray, the way that we read scripture, and the way that we worship. That sound good? Awesome. Cool. Let me pray uh, to wrap this up. And we got uh, White Elephant Grocery tonight after this. Uh, if you got, were you guys here when we play grocery bingo? Yeah. So it's like that, but not bingo. It's White Elephant with, with grocery items. And some of them are pretty legit. Just saying. Um, so anyway, let's pray. And, uh, and we'll do that. God, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for the story of the birth of your son, the story of Christmas that we get to celebrate this month. And uh, God, we thank you that it was such a sign of humility. It's also, God, a, seen as a, a threat to our throne. God, that you want to come into our lives and you want to you reign. And, uh, and God, so we pray that we would uh, set aside of the things that are keeping us on our throne. And God, instead, let you have your way in our life. Uh, God, we, we want to 
see the way that we worship change. We want to see the way that we pray change, the way that we read scripture. And a lot of times that's going to come from acknowledging your kingship. So God, I pray this tonight, we would also, we would see you as savior. We would see you as friend, but we'd also see you as the king of kings. And we thank you for what your birth meant and what it would, what it would set in motion. Uh, the perfect life, the, the sacrificial death, the resurrection, ushering us back into a relationship with the Father. And God, we are eternally grateful for that. And that's what we want to celebrate this Christmas season. And so we love you. We thank you for tonight. In Jesus' name, we all sit together. Amen.